Good morning, how are we doing? Good to uh, see you today. Happy Father's Day. All the dads uh, that are here, we have a gift for you. As you uh, leave uh, this morning, you'll want to make sure that you grab that. It's a pretty good gift. You'll like it. So uh, grab that on your way out. We are in week 13 of our 14-week series on the overview of the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to uh, the book of Genesis. We'll start in chapter 37. And we're going to see the son of Jacob, Joseph, uh, in, in which the Genesis narrative takes an unexpected and a little bit of a disconcerting turn. Up to this point, we have seen people go through some difficult times. But you can't say that they didn't earn those tough times. And in fact, you can say they probably got off easier than what they deserved. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three, made some pretty stubborn uh, rebellious and dare I say stupid moves. In fact, you could say that they each paid a little bit of a price for it, but in the end, we'll just say that the bread landed with the butter side up. God was patient with them again and again and again until finally. They kind of turn their, their, their attention to him. They get serious about living according to God's commandments, uh, living and trusting in his promises. And so now we come to Joseph. So if you're keeping score, I'm not competitive or anything, but if you're keeping score, Joseph, quote-unquote, was better than the others in Genesis. He had more character, more resolve, more faithfulness, more integrity. In all reality, you, you, you really couldn't find a lot of fault for, for in Joseph. And maybe there's just one little thing. Fairly small, we'll get to it in a moment. In last week's message, the story ended with Jacob returning to the land of Canaan the home of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. He made peace with his brother and then built an altar to worship God who had been with him every step of the way. Shortly after this, his wife Rebekah gives birth to Benjamin, Jacob's 12th son, um, hard labor for Rebekah, and she doesn't survive it. As you remember, she was Jacob's favorite and Jacob built a stone monument in her memory and as you know Jacob tended to play favorites with his sons and and Joseph who's probably a late teenager at this point was his favorite look with me at Genesis 37 we'll start in verse 3 now Israel loved uh, that's Jacob Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You know, we all have ideas uh, and thoughts about what a perfect family should look like, what it should be. And let me just say this, Joseph's family, far from perfect. Right? They had a lot of issues. They had a lot of problems. And you can imagine with sons from four different mothers all living and working together, there's a lot of rivalry, there's competition, and yet Jacob had a clear 
favorite, Joseph, who was the son of his old age. And in Jacob's favoritism of Joseph, it was plain to everyone to see, including Joseph himself, that this outward display of favor. So he gives Joseph this, this coat of many colors, right? This tunic of many colors. It signified a position of favor. A princely standing, a birthright. It was a dramatic way of saying he was a son to receive the birthright. And then Jacob's favoritism of Joseph was an obvious source of conflict in this family. And so his brothers naturally hated him because their father favored him. And Joseph, to make matters worse, he would report their bad behavior Back to Jacob. So Joseph has this dream one night, and dreams play a pretty big role in, in his life. And when he told his brothers the dream, they, they like hate him even more. This is what he told them about his dream. Verse 7, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Brothers are like, really? Like, what are you saying here? That, that you're going to be our ruler? And then he has another dream. And then he does this. He tells them about that dream as well. Because it went so well the first time. Right? He tells them that the sun and the moon, the 11 stars, sidebar exact number of brothers that he had, bowed before me, he says. And Jay, or, um, Joseph is so focused on how great his dreams were for him that he didn't think about, he didn't consider how the dreams would sound to, to other people. And so he also tells his dad about the dream, who asks, like, are, are you saying that, like, your mother and your brothers and I are all going to bow before you? And so, so his brothers, you know, don't like him very much. As I said earlier, that Joseph really didn't do a whole lot wrong, but he did make this one mistake. He probably should have kept the dreams to himself a little bit. Right? He's just like needling his brothers with it. It's like when I have the grandkids in the back of the car, right, and they can't keep their hands, right? They're just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's what Joseph's doing to his brothers by telling them that they would be his servants. Right? So the deal was that Joseph's brothers had to do the hard work, the uncomfortable work uh, of tending and, and roaming the flocks of, uh, of their father's sheep. And, and while Joseph stayed at home, slept in his own bed, except for when Jacob sent him out to, to check on his brothers. So, so finally the brothers have enough of Joseph. Not only does he tell them uh, of his dreams, but he has this habit of reporting back to Jacob so you can See how that goes over. So, so here's Joseph with his coat of many colors. Not doing hard work. He's kind of the supervisor's brother was the workers. So, so his brothers put this plan in place to kill Joseph, which is kind of a reoccurring theme in the book of Genesis, right? Brothers killing brothers, Cain and Abel. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Now several of Jacob's sons are ready to take out Joseph. 
Their plans to kill him, to throw him in a pit, and, and then tell Jacob that he was attacked by wild animals. And they think this is going to put an end to the dreams. So, so his brother Reuben comes to his defense, kind of, sort of, not really. And says, we don't need to actually kill him, but let's throw him in the pit. And in time, he'll just die, right? Well, thanks for that. Reuben said this because his plan, I guess, was to come back later and rescue Joseph. The brothers take the, the robe because uh, apparently Joseph wears this thing everywhere. They toss him into the pit. Shortly thereafter, a caravan of slave traders come by. Judah has this great idea. Instead of hurting him, he, he's like, let's just sell them, sell them to the Ishmaelites. So they pull Joseph out of the pit, and they say to him, in effect, hey, good news, little brother. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're not going to leave you here to die. Instead, we're, we're gonna, you got, you're going to go with these guys, the Ishmaelites, and you kind of belong to them now. So they sell him for, for 20 shekels of silver. They, they pour some goat blood on the coat. They take it home to Jacob telling him that Joseph has been attacked and didn't survive, right? The, the, really, the only way to describe these brothers is that they're pretty cruel and cold kind of dudes, right? They're, they're heartless when it comes to Joseph. And they set themselves against God's plan. They decided that if they're going to ruin Joseph's life, they might as well make some money off of it. And this all came from Judah, who of all the brothers becomes the ancestor of the Messiah. The story of Joseph develops. Judah would be the brother where we see the most change in his heart and the most change in his character. And the brothers probably laughed as the Ishmaelites went on their way to Egypt, feeling good about the fact that they didn't kill Joseph, made a little bit of cash in the process. And best of all, they thought that they defeated his dreams. Right, the revelation from God. But here's the thing. God's word about Joseph was proved to be true, right, no matter what his brothers did to him. God's word about Jesus was proved to be true no matter what others did to him. God's word about you will be proved to be true no matter what others do or have done. And at this point, the Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt, where he's sold to this high-ranking government official named Potiphar, Joseph works in Potiphar's house. Flip over to chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, Joseph's ordeal is probably more than any of us have, have ever gone through. And yet, God did not abandon him, even in the smallest way. If God allowed Joseph to be a slave, then he would be what? A successful slave. Well, we often complain to God that he puts us in a, in a difficult place or a terrible situation. And yet, God's will is that we trust him to bless us and to make us successful. And it's about his measure of, of success, not ours. And some people think that, that we can't be blessed unless they're in authority or in charge of things. And yet Jesus lived and taught us a, a better way of life, right? He said we're to, to live a life of a servant. 
If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, Matthew 20. But, but, and by his, his trust in God, his diligent work and blessing from God, Joseph showed part of her that God was real. And, and as followers of Jesus, we too should live out that same principle, right? Others should see a difference in, in our lives. That they should see a difference that Jesus makes in the way we work, in the way we treat people in our neighborhoods, with our friends, with our family. And then the Bible says that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except what to eat. And Joseph did such a great job for him. But there actually was one more thing Potiphar had to worry about. He had to worry a little bit about his wife, verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. So, so like Mrs. Potiphar here, she wouldn't take no for an answer, right? So, so she tries again and again, and Joseph does everything that he could to avoid her, but she just wouldn't give up. And, and so one day she grabs him, and, and he t- and tore himself away from her, and, and he runs from the house. By the way, a great way, uh, great strategy to overcome temptation right here. You just run away. You just get away quickly flee the situation in Joseph's case he left but but this garment was left behind and the idea here is not that he ran away like naked or anything but rather his outer garment was stripped off so essentially he he leaves uh, in in his underwear probably and Joseph had to know that his stand for purity would cost him dearly but you know what he considered that and he considered it worth it So her husband comes home and she says this in verses 18 and 19. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left the garment beside me and fled out of the house. And what's kind of interesting about this whole thing to me is that it must have greatly offended and grieved Joseph to be accused uh, under this like appalling lie that this lady tells. And yet he didn't seem to uh, defend himself uh, against this false accusation, just like Jesus was silent before his accusers. And quite naturally, Potiphar, he's not a happy camper, so he throws Joseph into prison where all the king's prisoners are are held. And so through no fault of his own, Joseph is on the receiving end uh, of this inhumane treatment. And let me just give you the sequence of events real quickly. He goes from the privilege in his father's house to the pit uh, his brothers threw him into, to being in poverty in the slave market, to the privilege of managing Potiphar's house, to the principal stand against temptation, to the perjury of false accusation, to the prison of Pharaoh. And through all of that, we can see the mercy in this, because if Potiphar had believed his wife completely, he probably would have put Joseph to death. But Potiphar knew his wife, he knew the kind of man that Joseph was, and his anger probably came because he knew that the accusation against Joseph probably wasn't all that accurate. 
And we see the injustice in this because Joseph suffered for someone else's sin. And, and as believers, we remember someone who perfectly resisted all temptation, who, who has stood for righteousness, who was stripped of his garments and, and was punished for the sins of others. We see that Jesus is our hope. And we can see God's hand in all of this. All of this moves God's story forward. Putting Joseph in the place where he can save his family and the whole world from the coming famine and prepare a place for them to live with him. I don't know about you, but I can just feel Joseph's pain at this point as the prison doors clang shut. And there he is in jail for what I think he probably believed was the rest of his life. And the story doesn't end there. You know that probably. But maybe Joseph thought this was the final chapter. As he sat in that prison cell, pretty sure he didn't know how the events of his life were going to play out. But I do think Joseph found strength in some foundational beliefs of what it means to really walk with God. So I'd love for us just to consider three of these. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me. The, the first one is it's better to pay the price for doing good rather than to be rewarded for doing wrong. Right? It's better to be punished for good behavior than to be praised for bad behavior. And you know, the culture that we live in today, they often confuse these two things. If Joseph had been willing to do what was wrong, he would have earned the favor of a powerful woman. It might have helped his career in one way or another. But he refused to play that game. He refused to take that risk. And the result was Joseph paid the price for doing the right thing. Paid the same price that many who seek to do good have paid. He was wrongly accused. You know, when the enemy targets believers with the intention of taking them down, the enemy's strategy is not, let's not accuse a person of being good. Let's not accuse them of being righteous, but rather the enemy's strategy is how can I discredit this person? How can I twist the truth? How can I lie about the details and destroy their reputation? See, wrongful accusation is the lifeblood of the enemy. Because it keeps us living in fear. That's why Jesus encouraged us to remember Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, the character traits that we see in the Beatitudes are really not valued by our culture much, are they? I mean, like, we don't give awards for the most pure in heart. Haven't heard that one. Right? We don't give awards out for the most poor in spirit. And, and though our culture doesn't think much of these character traits, they do describe the, 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 the character of those who are citizens in God's kingdom. Part of this persecution in the early church here in, in the New Testament was that these early Christians were accused of some pretty bizarre things and oftentimes accused unjustly most of the time. 
Joseph could have died in prison with everyone thinking that he was guilty of this worst kind of assault. But, but here is the key. He would rather pay the price for doing the right thing than to be rewarded for doing the wrong. All right, the second fundamental belief here. Number two is uh, even when a situation seems out of control, God is still in control. Sometimes God will say, in effect, I want you to pack your bags and I want you to go to this new place like he did with Abraham. Other times God will allow circumstances of the situation to move you where you need to be. There were reasons why Joseph needed to be in Egypt. Right? It had to do with this famine that was coming. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. And God used the circumstance to lead Joseph to where he needed him to be. And let me be clear about this. God did not create the crisis in Joseph's life. When, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, when Potiphar's wife brought this false allegation, God's response was not to them like, well done, thanks for doing that for me, I needed you. No, that's not what, what he was saying. He, he's not okay with it. God did not create the crisis in Joseph's life, but he was able to work through it and control it. Same, same for us. Maybe you're here and maybe you have been a victim at some point in your life. Maybe you've been wrongly accused or taken advantage of or cheated or bullied or fired without cause or fill in the blank. I want you to know God did not create whatever crisis you may be facing, but rather he can work in it and through it and he controls it and he can redeem it. Most of you probably know this verse, Romans 8, 28. And I think in your notes it says verse 29. My bad should be uh, 28, but it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So God's sovereignty and ability to manage every aspect of our lives is demonstrated in the fact that all things work together for good to those who love God. Though we must face the suffering in the circumstances. God is able to even make those sufferings work together for our good and his glory. God is able to work all things, not just some. And he works them for good together, not in isolation. And this promise is for those who love God in the biblical understanding of love. God manages the affairs of our life because we're called according to his purpose. So as Joseph is hanging out in prison, not sure of what's going to happen next, he, he knew God was not to blame. Even, even though the situation seemed out of control, he knew God still was in control. The third fundamental belief here is that no amount of injustice can separate you from God's favor said a few minutes ago that this is just about where the story ends with the clanging of the prison doors. Joseph facing the rest of his life in prison. Well, that's almost where the story ends, but not really. He, here Joseph was in a terrible situation. And, and what happens? Genesis 39, verses 21 and 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
You know, you've heard of people who can't win for losing. Everything they, or every break they get somehow goes bad. Well, Joseph's kind of the opposite of that, right? He, he can't lose for winning. Every situation goes bad, and somehow he comes out on top. And it's not somehow, right? It's clear why this keeps happening, because God is with Joseph. And Joseph is with God. He remains faithful no matter what comes into his, into his life. He, he's faithful when his father honors him with a brightly colored coat. He's faithful when he's sold into slavery. He is faithful when he becomes the top administrator of, of Potiphar's entire household. He is faithful when he's unjustly accused and thrown into a prison cell. At any point, he could have compromised his principles. He could have abandoned his beliefs. And he could have succumbed to the evil of others. But he remains faithful. And he experiences God's favor. There is no dark that is too dark for the light of God not to find you. There's no mistreatment that you can endure. No injustice that comes your way that will separate you from God's favor. Wherever you are today, God's favor can find you and he can bless you in the midst of the most terrible situation you could ever imagine. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word today. God, we ask that you would just hear our prayer this morning. And God, I pray that you, you would look upon us, you would look upon this local body of believers called New Creation Fellowship. And Father, we pray that you would just bless us, Lord. For you are the giver of good things. You are merciful and you are kind. So God, this morning, we ask that you would grant us your grace. Show us your love. God, we want to walk in your ways. And we want to praise your name. Father, we put our trust in you and you alone. So this morning, God, I want to ask that you would bless all the dads that are here today. And would you bless their families. In Jesus' name I pray.